And so now I am very thrilled to introduce our speaker for this morning, our very own Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, who's making his way slowly and thoughtfully to the center stage. Reverend Connie Nissen has a beautiful consciousness. All right. Good morning. Um, I already, people are already running for the exits. <laughs> anyway, um, let's. If you'd like to sing a song with me and say a prayer, and if you'd like to stand to do that, please feel free, and if not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room And so I invite you to dance with me in this moment, in this divine relationship with spirit. This, this beautiful, beautiful vibration of unconditional love. That Christ consciousness, that Buddha nature. And so what I know in this moment as we invite that, as we move into that vibration of the Most High, that dance of the, that, that beautiful, beautiful resonance, I know that that life that I am calling and is calling me is my life everywhere present the perfection of this moment heaven is now and so I give thanks knowing that in that declaration that every one of us is informed and resourced enthused that our level and our vibration of consciousness is lifted and expanded in ways that perhaps we cannot even measure but it is through the willingness that we open that door and so in the willingness of knowing something powerful and wonderful is here now, called forth by means of each and every one of us, informing, supporting, loving, and resourcing each and every one of us, I give thanks, knowing that every good thing presents itself this day for each and every one of us and continues to do so. This is my declaration. This is my intention. And I give thanks as I, as I release this in gratitude and appreciation, knowing it is already done in the mind of the one. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. It's always, I mentioned at the first service, that it's always exciting to be part of the, the Windspear experience because it, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of s- such a large um, ex- experience in so many ways, it stretches all of us. And 
mentioned that with Brown too. So it's it's a wonderful there's a wonderful energy about it. And uh, we did it uh, two years ago on October 4th. So I hope that you can be there with us if you're in town. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to step out into the world. And, and it's amazing to see um, so many people that, that are connected to our movement. I was guided to a, uh, a book this, this past month. You know, we are a group of people that uh, teach consciousness and spirituality at the end of the day. And so what we realize is that it is our opportunity on this continuum of life to, um, to, to do our work and to, to invest ourselves and do the examination so that we can, and as we do that, we have a different experience and everyone has a different experience as a result of it. So I was guided to uh, a book by Anita Morjani, and this is the book and it's called Dying to Be Me. And and the subtitle is My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. And I I think it's, and and there's nothing in this book that she articulates that we don't discuss. But it's, I think it's always insightful to hear a story and to examine someone's experience with this physical form and see what uh, insights and awarenesses uh, came about as a result of that. She developed lymphomic cancer and she, she, she was in that experience for four years. Um, she finally got to the point where her body had just given up. What happened is her body stopped absorbing nutrients. She try, and she tried a variety of modalities. She tried a number of things that... Um, uh, she didn't want to do chemotherapy. She had two close friends that had both passed away from cancer and had done chemo. And so she was very reluctant to do that. But what she did is she, she got involved with all of the different modalities. And she said it was interesting because she's a Hindu. A Hindu that lives in Hong Kong. So she comes from the Hindu tradition, but she's immersed in the Eastern culture of the Buddhist. And there was also Christianity was exposed to it. So she's doing different modalities. The Hindu tradition would say, don't eat meat, especially don't eat any beef. And the Chinese uh, healers would say, what you you need to do most of all is eat beef and pork. So there's all these different things going on in different forms of... And and so in all that, it's a wonderful uh, articulation of her experience with that. But after four years of it, she finally, uh, her body was about to the point where it was giving up. Her lymph nodes were all about the size of, of uh, lemons. She couldn't hold her head up anymore. She had legions that were weeping on her body that were very deep and very big. And uh, she, you know, she just couldn't absorb any food. There was a feeding tube. And she finally went and lapsed into a coma. And in the coma, and the doctor, when they took her to the hospital, the doctor said, well, what did you bring her here for? Because she's pretty well done. She should just stay home and die. But anyway, they brought her to the hospital and uh, they drained, one of the doctors drained her lungs because she was choking on all the liquid that was in her lungs. And um, she lapsed into a coma and she had this uh, experience, as she said, dying to be me. And so her experience, and there's a Q&A in the back of the book, and, and the last half of the book is the awarenesses that uh, uh, came about. She, at the beginning of chapter 15, says why I got sick and, and healed. And she said that sometimes words can cause more harm than good. I want to emphasize that anyone who still has cancer or who didn't heal is a completely magnificent person. And she's very mindful of that. Because there's a tendency to think, well, you know, my, my mom or my brother or whoever I knew died of cancer. And why didn't they, get, why didn't they heal? And, and she said, you know, we don't know the answers to that. She said the reason for their illness lies in their personal journey and are probably related to their individual purpose. 
But she's so lucid and so clear about her own experience, and I wanted to share it with you because it's rare. You know, I've asked people, anybody here had a near-death experience? And so, you know, you've, you've had your own, and have people here had their out-of-body experience? Yeah. And, they're, and they're, in the people I've asked that question to over the years, um, the, their recollection of it is always different. So I thought it was very compelling. Actually, Wayne Dyer found her and wanted to, to publish her book. So she, he recommended her to uh, Hay House, which is, um, uh, what's Hay House? Louise. Louise. Couldn't think of Louise's first name. Louise is a, a publishing company, and so they published the book. So she developed these tumors, the skin lesions. She was in a coma, uh, no sign of life. And what she started to have is she had this experience of unconditional love. She went, through this, she went into this, this, this state of awareness, and she said it was in a state of awareness like nothing she'd ever experienced before. She had a 360-degree view of everything going on, and she said it wasn't... And one of the things that I love, and I've always loved this, Gary Zukov said it in Seat of the Soul. When we shift consciousness, when we heal something in this moment, it heals everything, past and future. And I love that. So the work, and, I, and when I hear that, I always get a, a rush. I know that's true. And she talks about this, in that the dimension that she passed into, and she didn't know she was in a coma. She could hear her husband and the doctor talking, and the doctor saying, well, she's got a few hours left the way she is. And uh, what do you want us to do? And they were 40 feet down the hallway, and her door was closed. She knew that the doctor, she watched the doctor take the fluid out of her lungs. In fact, when she came to, she came out of the coma. She said, oh, you're Dr. Chan. He says, do you know me? Have we ever met? He says, oh, yeah, you took the, the, the fluid out of my lungs when I came in. He said, you were in a coma when you came in. So she had... She was fully aware of everything going on. She had, she had a vision. She saw her brother getting on an airplane because her brother sensed that something was up. And he was in India at the time, and he was flying to Hong Kong. So he was already on an airplane. And when she came out of the coma, he was standing next to her bed with her husband, with his, uh, his suitcase still with him. Hadn't even checked into a hotel. Wanted to get there because he just sensed that this was um, probably the last he was going to be able to be there. And he wanted to be there when she made her transition. So anyway... But when she was in this, she was in this awareness, this state of, a, she said it was unconditional love. And everyone she started to connect with, she, w- she would feel their emotions. And she said as she was drawn into the emotion, she could feel this envelope of unconditional love sort of balance her out and pull her back a little bit and hold her. And she said it was incredible, this incredible experience. She said it was, and what she got in it, her insights were that, I'll share with you in a bit, why she developed this, this condition that we know as cancer. Because it really was a gift in her life. It was, a, it was, a, it was the, the tipping point of her awareness that where she passed through that, into that experience. She also said that what she learned was that all of life is perfect. There's a perfection. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And I pulled up David Hawkins because David Hawkins is a wonderful, wonderful researcher on levels of consciousness. And he says almost the identical same things in one of the books that I came across this week in doing the research. Hawkins was one of the leading psychiatrists. He had a huge clinic on the east coast of the United States, the largest and most successful uh, that was on the east coast at the time. And he started to do the work in consciousness. He actually uh, developed a uh, 12-step group called Schizophrenics Anonymous because he realized in his study of schizophrenia that there was a pathway there. There were patterns there. And it was also reflective of consciousness. So he's done some amazing work. Brilliant guy. So at the, at the peak of his success in his clinic and doing this work, he decided to give it all up and he moved to Phoenix. He said he moved to the wilderness to continue to do his research on consciousness. And so he's come up with these scales, these arbitrary scales of consciousness. And he talks about them. And what he does is he does a calibration. And most of you have read Power Versus Force. And I have a, 
uh, book here right now called uh, Transcending the Levels of Consciousness. There's wonderful, wonderful information here. And so I'm going to share a bit of the, what his, his suggestions are for us to continue to do the work. See, the great thing is we can all take a deep breath. Maybe I should just take the deep breath. <sighs> he said it doesn't matter where we are in the continuum. It does not matter where we are on the continuum. As long as we're on the continuum. As long as we're awake enough to, and aware enough to realize that we are, we are spirit incarnate in form. And that we are consciousness. And we acknowledge that and we continue to do our work. At the, at the level, the best way we know how to... He said, it doesn't matter where you are on it. But as long as you continue to do the work. He does some, some powerful uh, research in his... Uh, the one I'm referring to is transcending the levels of consciousness. And so... He articulates in there from the, what we'd call the base level all the way up to the, to the uh, 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 enlightenment. But what he says, he talks about perfection. So I brought this little guy out with me today. And he said that we think of, of life as, as causal, that there's cause and effect. There's cause and effect. There's, for every action, there's an equal and like reaction. But he said there's another way to look at this. When we talk about the perfection, he talks about looking at a flower. Now here's some, a lily. And this lily is open. This was from Danny Wojciech's funeral last uh, Friday. And, and this lily is open, and it's, it's beautiful. And one could consider it in blossom, and it's perfect. But he said that you also ha- have the ones here that haven't opened yet. And they're perfect. We also have some flowers down here that have, have seen better days. And they're perfect. It's a continuum. It's, that, that life in the perfection is a continuum. And so he uses the metaphor of the flower. He actually uses the rose in the reading that I did, but I pulled a lily up. So all this and every, every phase of it is perfection. And so you and I, at every phase of our evolution, if we're on the continuum, if we're awake and aware of it, and even if we're not, it's perfect. Because what he says, what Hawkins says, and what is reflected in Morjani's experience is that it is perfect. Every moment is perfect. Every moment is heaven. Heaven is now. And in understanding that, it shifts our perception and it opens us up to a different idea, a bigger idea. And it seems so simple. But we, we, can get, we can get caught up in this continuum idea of what life is supposed to look like. But there's a, when we step through that portal of awareness as we expand our consciousness, then everything we filter and our experiences with it all change. So the various forms of this flower are all perfection. Hawkins says this, and, and I'm going to share his story. If you have read Power Versus Force, you've read it. But he tells about his. But life is perfect as it is. Life is perfect as it is because this, this dimension, this form, allows us maximum results. Taking form allows us maximum results. It's an opportunity for maximum gain. Or the undoing of negative karma. And he goes on and on about that. And I don't, I'm not going to touch on that today. But it's really an opportunity for us. And so when we, when we sense that and we step through that, as he said, get on the continuum and understand it. And he's got some very simple pieces here of how we do that. What he recommends. But we are here. It's perfect because we are here for the evolution of our soul. I was listening to an interview with him. Um, I want to set my perfect flower down here in the perfect place. Anyway... Um, but what, what Oprah said is, doesn't it trouble you there's still war on the planet? And he said, well, 97% of recorded history, there's been war. He said, in fact, in the interview, he said, probably the only time there wasn't war was there was a big famine or there was big floods or something, but people were too busy trying to survive to keep fighting with one another. But what it comes from is it comes from the egoic nature. Our egoic nature 
is, as he said, it's the, it's the, the um, evolution of consciousness, but we, needed, we need this for survival. So he, started, he said, life evolved from self-centeredness. And that's why, and, and, and we see this now. He tracks it a bit. He said that then along came the mother bird. The mother bird was the first one that was nurturing and took care of its young. And he said the mammalian life introduced love. So we, the mammalian life introduced love, and it was a, a brand new awareness. But the ego is the survival of the animal evolution. Romantic love, for the most part, did not become part of our culture. It really wasn't prominent until about 200 years ago. About 200 years ago, romantic love showed up in a way that we now understand it. There were bits of it, and you know, you read about it in the Renaissance and romantic poetry, but it really wasn't a popular idea in consciousness. And what romantic love is, it's not just our partners, but it's the, the longing, the understanding, this divine urge to take care of one another. To take care of one another. We're just, we're just babies at taking care of one another. And when, when Morjani's talking about her experience, and she knows the doctor's down the hall, and she sees her brother a thousand miles away, and she said she connected with all of them emotionally. And she had this 360 vista of awareness. She said, I can, all I can say was awareness. And see, when we understand that, and, we, and we've, we've, we've had, and, and we don't have to have cancer, to do it. David Hawkins, when he was a young boy, 10 years old, had a paper route. Wisconsin. Middle of the winter. Blizzard. And he's, it's 17 miles, his paper route. Can you imagine? My gosh. Anyway, he's delivering papers one night, and it's a blizzard. And the wind is blowing. And you know what wind chills like. I mean, we're, I know what wind chills like. Yeah. I got up this morning. I went, man, look at it. It's raining, but it's all white out there again. What's going on with it? But it's April Fool's Day, right? So, anyway. But he said the wind was blowing so hard and he, and he had his papers and he, it got so cold that finally he, he said that they'd come by, the snow plows had come by, and the wind rose were about eight feet high. And so what he did, he knew he had to get out of the wind. He broke the crust of the snow and he climbed in. And as he climbed in and he started to warm up, this, he said it wasn't an out-of-body experience, but he shifted into a different awareness. He said, I went from the small self, the egoic self, to the large self. And all of a sudden, he was aware of all kinds of things going on, and he had this experience, and it became timeless. And he said that he sensed his father was coming to look for him. And, and, and so he was aware of that, but he was still in this experience. And in the experience, he had to decide whether he was going to go on or he was going to come back. And he sensed his, his father's distress and, and anxiety and worry. And he said, I couldn't live with it. So I knew I had to come back. But he knew, and that was, that was one of the, those openings in his experience that led him on to do the work where he finally was, he was at the height of, of success, and he said, I want to stop this. I'm going to go live in the desert of Arizona and study consciousness. Because he, he understood that was what the portal that opened for him. But it started when he was 10 years old. And he said he felt his dad shake his leg. His dad found him and shook his leg. And he said he came back. And so Morjani had the same experience. Um, David Hawkins describes it. It's perfection. It's that perfection. And that perfection, as Hawkins says, is we're all in this unfolding of perfection. And so we have wars. And we have difficulty. And we have challenges so that you and I have the opportunity to say yes or no. 
And in that, he said, it's, it's for maximum gain. So as we do the work in consciousness, the wonderful thing about what I love, what Morjani says, and it's in my newsletter this month, is she said, you know, whether you're a Christian or you're a Buddhist or you're a Hindu or whatever you are, what's important is it works for you. Find the, the doorway to walk through that connects you with, with that, that inner life. You know, we're going to, this is, this is Palm Sunday. And all of the, the stories and the, and the, uh, and the, the teachings of the t- Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, amazing teacher. And then, as Hawkins says, people got a hold of it and it got dummied down. That he was talking about this very same thing. He was talking about, his, when people see me, they, they don't see me. They see what the Father within doeth the work. It is not I, but the Father within. These things I have done, you shall do an even greater. He came along at a time, and who knows why. I think that some people are just given the the opportunity to to teach consciousness, to teach, because really at the end of the day, it was unconditional love, is what he taught. It was why it was so revolutionary. And and it was so hard for people to hear it, because there was that animal nature of survival. And I mean, I don't think people even had the consciousness to comprehend much of what he was saying. And so, of course, it didn't, you know, of course they had to get rid of that somehow because it was an irritant. But see, he, 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 he broke a, a space in that, um, that bubble of consciousness. He, he created an opening, as did the Buddha. The Buddha came along 568 years before Jesus. And before that, the Hindus. David Hawkins said the highest uh, evolved level of consciousness on the planet's ever been were the, were the ancient Hindus. And they wrote the Vedas and the Upanishads. And they go back 2,500, 3,000 years. They don't have a founder. It was a cultural thing for them. And, and he does this calibration of consciousness that's quite remarkable. Quite remarkable is his story. So we are here in this. In, in, this is for maximum opportunity for all of us. Maximum opportunity. Maximum gain and undoing of negative karma. And, and we do that. Hawkins says the way we do that. He says, very simple. I want to read it to you so I get it right. Number one, it takes two things. Well, he said, number one, it's a striving for unconditional love, which is what the divine is. Unconditional love, which is love without exception, love without qualification. It's just a state of being. He says this, too. He said, one of the ways we can do it, he said, is if you're in your car and you smile at the person next to you. He said, they might smile back or they might peel out and go through the red light and they may give you the peace sign with one finger you never know you never know because some people can't some people can't accept it but you can work on the smile you know I mean but does that is that a comfortable thing to know that you're going to smile at everybody that pulls up to you on the way home it's not for me I mean really I mean I can I can stand up here with you and talk about it but then to take it out in the world to smile at somebody? Oh my gosh. You know, I, a lot of times I see people, you know, I see people and, like, and I'll think, well, they're from the center. And then all of a sudden I realize I've been looking at this person and I, they don't know me from Adam. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm sorry, you know, it's like I'm, I'm not stalking, you know, you don't have to get a restraining order. It's just like, ah. But isn't it interesting? Hawkins says it requires two things. One is an intense desire, the drive to know God. The drive to know God. If you, if you have that and that intense desire, and that doesn't mean 24-7, but it's just that sense of where can I, where's spirit in this? Where's God in this for me? 
And number two, the discipline to act with constant and universal forgiveness and gentleness without exception. Man, that's a tough one. To act with constant and universal forgiveness and gentleness without exception. Compassion for self and others. Compassion for self and others. This is the mammalian consciousness. This is the consciousness that says, not only do I want to take care of myself, but I want to help take care of everybody. I want to play my part. And, and, and when, we, when we land in that consciousness, that intention, we know the ways. We're guided in that. If I really made this commitment to be honoring of my, how can I be honoring of myself today? How do I honor this beautiful physical body that brought me here? Am I, am, I, am I feeding it well? Am I getting enough rest? If I'm tired, am I just giving myself a break? You know, I mean, that conversation is, is for all of us to have. When Hawkins was doing the, the, uh, one of the lectures I listened to, he was with the Noetic Science people. And he, what he does is he does a calibration. So you, you can do muscle testing. And I was talking to, to Debbie, our soloist, uh, uh, between services about muscle testing. And he describes it in Power Versus Force. But when Hawkins is doing the, the calibrations, um, he calibrates the audience to see what level they're at. And he was, teach, he was doing a lecture with a room full of people from Noetic Sciences. Noetic Sciences was founded by Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut that came back from the uh, moon uh, excursion. And he had an epiphany. He had a... Uh, an awareness of oneness. And so he came back and he realized that this is what he wanted to do. But he was calibrating the group and they calibrated around 450 to 460, which is, was quite high in the calibration scale. Um, the majority of the, of the planet is, 78% of the planet calibrates at 200 or less. And 200 is not very high. It's really about the egoic, it's about survival. But he talks about the importance of having the people doing the work and pushing the envelope to keep the consciousness uh, in balance. And so he said that most people, when they're in the 400s, it's rare for people to break into the 500s because in the 400s, it's very intellectual. People like that. 5% of the population, he said, will break out of the, of the 400s in their own consciousness work because it's not an intellectual process. It's what he's talking about. It's what Morjani's talking about. It wasn't about doing anything. It was about a, a, a state of being, which you can't track with the intellect. But the intellect is, is part of it on the path. David Hawkins says, you cannot transcend the world until you master it. You cannot transcend the world until you master it. And once you master it, you can let it go. Once you master it, you can let it go. Isn't it interesting? That we we want to master. So why do we teach? You know, I'm, I'm doing, we're doing, our, we've been doing our Prosperity Plus class for a couple years now, Laura and I teaching it. And it's really about bringing a different awareness to life and having stuff but if our goal is having stuff eventually then we'll be having a class in a couple years about how we get rid of most of the stuff (laughs) you know what i mean we don't have a there is not a lack on this planet there's some environments there are there are people that are you know that don't have enough clean water and they don't have enough food but i mean look at no one has ever said to me come in and said man i just can't it's just so annoying there's no cars on the road it's just so easy to get everywhere Never heard that. Traffic. You know, I mean, uh, it just you look around. We live in an abundant environment. 
but it's about using it's about using resources and having enough so that we can continue to do this work to even for us to come together and have this discussion and and in the consciousness that we've we've, we've pushed the envelope to, to this point for the evolution of the soul to be able to come together and have this this experience to even talk about these ideas you know if this were back in uh, in the dark ages you know they would have burnt me at the stake a long time ago I mean they would have Maximum gain and undoing of negative karma. So Morjani says, what caused my cancer? And she said, in that experience of expansiveness, of unconditional love, she said, I never realized the truth of who I am. She grew up in this Hindu family. Her father and mother wanted her to have an arranged marriage. She, she bristled against that. It was actually arranged, and then she backed out of it. She felt she'd embarrassed her parents. She was always seeking to fulfill other people's opinions of her. And so what she realized is that she'd never loved herself enough. She said, I've always lived in fear. She said she feared life. She, feared, she believed there was not enough. And she always thought it was selfish to love herself. She always thought of it as selfish. And I've had pe- people tell me that. I've had family members tell me that. When I started to go down this path, I started to meditate. And they said, that's selfish. Oh, golly, I don't know. I don't know if I can keep doing this the way I've been doing it. She understood that. And she said this. She said, while I was in a state of clarity in the other realm, I instinctively understood that I was dying because of all my fears. I wasn't expressing my true self because my worries were preventing me from doing so. And I understood that the cancer wasn't a punishment or anything like that. It was just my own energy manifesting as cancer because my fears weren't allowing me to express myself as the magnificent force I was meant to be. You know, she said, why would I choose this? How do I choose differently? If this is an illusion, why does it feel so real? If God listens to all prayers, why isn't he listening to mine? She said, I've been trying so hard to do all the forgiving, cleansing, healing, praying, and meditating that I could. I just couldn't understand why this was happening to me. And she said, finally, she just surrendered. She just surrendered. She gave it all up. She said, I can't do, I'm I'm, I'm done. And then she moved through that portal. She went into that altered state, which she didn't even realize was an altered state. She said, in the expansive state, I realized how harshly I treated myself and judged myself throughout my life. There was nobody punishing me. I finally understood that it was me I hadn't forgiven, not other people. I was the one who was judging me, whom I'd forsaken, and whom I didn't love enough. It has nothing to do with anyone else. And she goes on and on. It's a beautiful book, beautiful experience, and she's so articulate. And she's on YouTube, you can YouTube her, and and there's many interviews with her. Hawkins calibrates um, consciousness all the way from, this uh, book once again is the Transcending Levels of Consciousness, all the way from shame and despair in chapter 1 to chapter 18, full enlightenment and everything in between. Well, one of, the ch- one of the chapters, chapter 11, is called Willingness. And I've, been, I've used willingness, and I don't know how I ever... I, I know where it came from. My teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates, um, last Thursday, I got a phone call. She made her transition. 
she passed away. And, um, and, and she was a wonderful teacher. And this woman loved me like nobody's ever loved me before or since. But it was not the kind of love that, you would, that Disney would make a movie out of. Because she really held my feet to the fire all the time. And, and uh, amazing, amazing consciousness. And I, I feel her presence right now. I just I told Laura, I said, it's interesting. When, someone, when people pass away, typically they, they, I, I'll sense that presence. And after reading Morjani and after reading David Hawkins, they, she is present. Her, her energy has been released. She told me uh, when we were in the Fillmore Church in California, I studied with her there with five other students. And she said, you know, I know that the thing for me to do right now is teach, teach this class. Because we didn't have a big community. We had about, you know, Sunday we had 10, 12 people. She said, but I know I'm here to teach this class. And I did my practitioner studies with her. I did my ministerial studies with her. She was an amazing teacher. Wonderful, wonderful consciousness. And, uh, uh, but I feel her. I, I just, I, I have felt. Uh, and, uh, and I just, I know that her, that, that the ones that, we, that love us and that we love her are always connected to us. Because it is eternal. And she's passed through that portal. But he talked, it is a great story about willingness in here. Willingness is on the scale of a possibility. And I want to share it with you. It's a true story of a, a, a woman he knows by the name of Greta. And she came to the United States from Ireland. She could barely read. She was looking for a job. She couldn't find a good job. So she went to work for a family, a very wealthy family, as the upstairs maid. And so as a job as the upstairs maid, she was taking care of the kids, fixing things, you know, and just all the things that domestic people do. But she had such a... He describes it here. Um... Her cheerful willingness and dedication to the family's welfare resulted in her progressive promotion to housekeeper. She tended to all the needs of the family, traveling around the world with them in luxurious style. The father of the family had many investments and he occasionally gave Greta a tip at dinner time. Hey, there's an investment coming up and you might want to take a few bucks and invest in it. So she would. And everything she invested in went up. And then stocks would split and they'd go up again. So eventually, she traded a block of stocks for some Manhattan, New York real estate. I mean, this is the upstairs maid. She's still the maid. She's still the housekeeper. She had given up that job. Despite her now considerable wealth, Greta continued with her dedication to the family as they grew up, had their coming out parties, got married, etc. And one day, she received a call from a distant uncle who was visiting from Ireland. He, he called a number of the family members, said, hey, let's all meet in New York and, and we'll, we'll catch up. She was the only one that went. Nobody else went. Nobody bothered to go. Well, he goes home after this, and he loved Greta, and he caught up with her, and they had a great time. And he goes home, and a few years later, he passes away. And he leaves Greta millions of dollars. She met him for lunch, and then he went back to Ireland. A few years later, he died and left an enormous estate worth many millions of dollars to Greta for, out of gratitude for her friendliness. Greta continued on as the family housekeeper, even after she's got all this money, in fact, I went online this morning. I'm applying for a housekeeping job myself right now. <laughs> and was a multimillionaire many times over by the time she died. But he talks about the calibration of willingness. Where it's not about just doing good. I'm going to do good. In fact, he says, willingness calibrates at 310 and stands in contrast to do-gooderism, which calibrates at 190. Do-gooderism, which seeks control and imposition of presumptive values on others. So it's conditional giving. But isn't it interesting? I mean, you want to understand consciousness. So, and so he's got this whole scale of consciousness. And, and 
And Oprah said to him, what, what, how do I do this? How do I move up the, I want to do, I want maximum gain. I want maximum gain. Intense desire to know God. And the discipline to act with constant and universal forgiveness and gentleness without exception. That's a task. That's a task. And yet, it's, it's possible. It's what we teach. It's what the life of Jesus was. It was the life of the Buddha. He talks about it in here. You know, those, those fellows calibrated at, at a thousand. Now, it's, 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 exci- it's an exciting time to, to be alive. Um, Anita Morjani said that when she was having the experience, one of the metaphors she used was it's like being in a big warehouse and you have a little flashlight and you're shining it on different things and you can see one thing at a time. And, and then to have the experience, it's like waking up and all the lights in the warehouse go on and you can see everything. And everything is rich and wonderful and abundant and vibrant and healthy. And she said that was her experience. That was her experience. And, and the other piece of it is we do affect one another. We do affect them. You know, maybe I'm not going to feel be comfortable rolling up next to somebody and looking over and going. <laughs> but I can do it in my heart. I can do it in my heart. You know, I was reading this and then I got out and some guy was doing Starsky and Hutch down the street in front of me and right away I started going, oh, you know, I, you know, I should I, the <laughs> the police in my head were going to make a citizen's arrest and then I realized, wait a minute. You know, how can, I, how can I let that experience not pull me into me judging and criticizing? You know, maybe he is in a hurry. Maybe there's an emergency. Maybe he's just asleep. But to not let that, that behavior pull me out of what I know is to be the most loving for myself. And, uh, and, that's, the, the, and that's part of awareness. But if I hadn't had the opportunity to do this reading and to do the research and to read her story... And their story of realizing that we're really here to love one another. And, and, it, and she used to think it was selfish to love herself. But she said, I realize that I can't love anybody beyond what I, how I cherish and honor myself. Because we are connected. And we can do that work. And we're doing it. So I'll see you all next week at the Windspear. So it is. <laughs>